Hi everybody, I'm Paul Valley, and this is a payoff pitch on Phantom Old Radio presented by DNL Window Tinting. DNL Window Tinting, we put the shades on the sun. And joining me once again for I believe the third time on our show this year is Matt Pine from Utah Street Report and more recently MLB Down the Line. Congratulations on the new gig. Thank you, thank by the you. Way. Appreciate it. Uh, and we appreciate you joining the show today. Uh, the Orioles just came off of a um, series loss to the Tampa Bay Rays. They were supposed to play today at 110, but with Hurricane Dorian coming into the Florida coast, they moved that game up to yesterday. They played a doubleheader. They, the Orioles lost the first game in heartbreaking fashion in extra innings. Um, they lost that game 5-4. to four. Then in the second game, which was the first game of the doubleheader yesterday, Orioles win it 4-2. to two. One of the uh, call-ups, Mason Williams, uh, had uh, his first game for the Orioles this year, two for four, which yep. was nice to see. Mark Trumbo contributed a tack-on run with an RBI double in a pitch-hitting mm -hmm. role. Uh, but then they lost the second game, two to nothing. Uh, the bullpen was the highlight of the series. Sure. One earned run in eight and a third innings pitch. They have a 2.25 ERA since 8.20, mm -hmm. August 20th. Excuse me, my notes say 8.20, so I read it. Um, <laughs> last week we had Eric Arditti on the show, and we were talking about how the Orioles' bullpen was pitching really well. But we also said the last time we talked about the Orioles pitching well, they went on a two-week funk where they gave up seven-plus runs in 11 of 14 games. But the uh, good pitching has continued. What are your impressions of the bullpen, and do you think it's coincidence that it's been more stabilized since Hunter Harvey has joined them? I don't think it's a coincidence at all. Um, obviously, we've seen what Hunter Harvey has done so far. He's not been you know, totally perfect. He did give up that one home run. Um, but just couple him with Dylan Tate, some of the younger guys that we've seen. Um, I I've been impressed so far. I mean, if you look at the the beginning of the year bullpen, it looks pretty pretty starkly different than what it looks like now. Mm. Um, so I, I like seeing how they move Dylan Tate from the rotation to the bullpen. Same with Hunter Harvey. You know, it, you're taking these prospects that have a plus pitch and you're magnifying it pretty much. So um, they could do the same thing with Michael Bauman, who's in Double A right now. I know mm -hmm. he's thrown a no hitter and he looks great as a starter, but he does profile more as a reliever. So it would be interesting to see how they do that moving forward. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, the bullpen really been impressive. If only we could have had this effort for the whole season, it would have been a little bit different. Probably wouldn't have had a top-five draft pick. But right. I'm happy with what they've done so far. Well, exactly. And it gives you hope moving into next year with the guys like Hunter Harvey in the bullpen and Dylan Tate. And Michael Givens is still under team control through 2022. Sure. So this is he a guy that yeah, it could be here. Tanner Scott, mm -hmm. I've been impressed with him in the minors. Mm -hmm. He's been dominating. Down a, down a triple-A. Every now and again, he'll have a hiccup. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, he's been dominant down there. Comes up, gets another chance in the bullpen with these September call-ups. He had two strikeouts in the, in the game the other day. Yep. He did hit Tommy Pham. And yes. then Tommy Pham got one high and tight in the 10th inning of a tie ball game with a runner already on base. With Dylan Tate pitching. With who, Dylan Tate pitching. Right. And he wants to chirp about how the Orioles were hollering and throwing at him and yep. success is revenge. And... It's a non-story. The, guy, the guy's just being an idiot, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I think I even tweeted, like, calm down, Hardo. Like, he's just, I mean, he, he reminds me of, like, Jake Arrieta, like, who earlier in the season, season was talking about Todd Frazier, and he said, you know, I'm going to bash his skull in or whatever he mm -hmm. said. It's just like these people just take themselves way too seriously, and obviously the Orioles aren't trying to hit people. Right. And I think Brandon Hyde had the comment of the day when he said, uh, I think I would have heard somebody from our bench because you can hear the lights buzzing at the trop. Yeah, he said it was like playing so in the Florida quiet. State League, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I like what I've seen from Tanner Scott. Um, if you remember, he was actually rumored to be in that Ubaldo Jimenez trade to the Padres a few years back, mm -hmm. and Orioles fans were scared to death because they didn't want to lose 
a lefty arm that could throw 100 miles an hour. Right. Uh, but with a I, devastating slider. With a devastating slider, absolutely. But he has had some control issues. But if he can work that out, and especially especially with the new regime that is in place, I think they can really help him with his uh, his arm slot. Well, I think that he could be a, a key cog in the Orioles' future bullpen. And look, some guys they're they're wild mm -hmm. in the strike zone. It, it worked for Randy Johnson his entire career, right? Yep. Um, it worked for Nolan Ryan. Yep. You know what I mean? Now, I'm not saying that this guy, the Tanner Scott's Hall of Fame caliber, like Randy Johnson or Nolan Ryan, but mm -hmm. you can pitch and be effectively wild. Right. But you do need to throw more strikes than balls. And if Tanner Scott can ever hone in and maybe get that walk total down just a little bit, I think he could be an effective reliever. Somebody who hasn't been effective for the Orioles all season, and I think his days are numbered in Baltimore, is Chris Davis. Uh, he has started just six of the last 16 games, mm -hmm. and in that stretch, he's three for 19 with seven strikeouts. Yesterday, in, the, in game two with a doubleheader, he goes the other way, hits him where they ain't, a double down the, down the left field line. It kind of looked like an excuse me swing, but hey, it worked out. Mm -hmm. And then a huge base running gap. Right. He's on third base with one out. VR hits one to deep center field. And now, look, he has to go back and try to tag because you've got to score the run, but the ball bounces off Kiermaier's glove, off the wall, and bounces away from him. You have got to score on that play. And I, actually, I'm sorry, he wasn't on third base. He was on second base. Mm -hmm. uh, but you've got to score on that play. Instead, Davis gets the stop sign about 30 feet down the line, goes back, and VR is more than halfway the way to third base. Davis, VR ends up getting tagged out. So now not only do you not score the run, You've also taken the other runner out of the scoring position, and you've also cost your team an out yep. on a ball that you had no business not scoring on. Yeah, I mean, the frustration with Chris Davis has been throughout the season, fights in the dugout, I mean, just striking out and key opportunities, key spots. It's just, it doesn't matter if he's at the plate, in the field, on the base paths. There's been something going wrong, basically, for him all year. Um, I think... I don't know if they're going to do this in the, in the offseason, but I think it is time to cut ties with him, whether they can negotiate some sort of settlement deal or something that they can recoup some of the money or, or some of the de deferred payments. But it, it's just very evident that he's not going to regain the magic he had three or four years ago. It's just not going to happen at this point. Right, and I don't, I don't know if there's anything that they can do about a settlement or recouping some of the funds because, as we all know, every last penny of every Major League Baseball contract is guaranteed, so they're yep. stuck paying he, he's him. He's totally entitled to that money. Right. So, so the, I think the only way that Davis starts the year on the opening day roster is because Ryan Mountcastle, who we'll talk about in a little bit, probably won't get called up to the third week of the season Yep. Uh, just because of his service time. Mm -hmm. It'll give them an extra year of control with, with Mountcastle. Um, but otherwise, if you look at the roster as it stands right now, you're probably not getting rid of Nunez because nope. he's 25, 26 years old and has 40 homer power. Yep. Mancini's under team control for another two, two to three seasons. Mm -hmm. And then you're also calling up Mountcastle yes. at some point. So where does Chris Davis fit on the roster? The simple answer to that question is he doesn't fit anywhere. Right. And like an easy, an easy answer would be to say, uh, well, Mark Trumbo, but Mark Trumbo is not going to be on this team next year. I think that's pretty evident. Right. Um, so there's the DH spot, but that could be filled by literally anybody at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see Chris Davis really fitting in. Um, you know, he, he says all the right things mm -hmm. in interviews, which I think frustrate fa frustrates fans even more because his actions don't really show it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he says he's a hard worker. He's just trying to do right by the team, but it doesn't always necessarily appear that way, at least to me. I don't know about you, but. Well, the, the, the blow up in the dugout a month and a half ago, that was bad. That was bad for the team. That yep. was bad for Chris Davis. It was kind of bad for Brandon Hyde. Mm -hmm. Brandon Hyde, too. You can't sure. have that stuff, especially when it's called on camera. Can't be public. Right. But on top of that, 
he's just not performing. And each year is worse than the last. Now, last year, he hit 168, mm -hmm. which was historically bad. Yep. But he had 16 home runs. Right. This year, he's hitting 170 with sure. 10 home runs. Right. right? And it's, it's the point now where we're not even really paying attention to Chris Davis anymore. And the fact that we're even talking about him now, the only reason we're talking about him is because it's an anomaly that he's still on the team. Mm -hmm. and it's only because of that paycheck. So it's just one of those things where the, what, what he's saying and what you're seeing, they don't match. They haven't matched for three to four years. And it's just kind of time to say thanks for what you've done, but you got to go. I mean, people after that hit, long hit list streak were saying release him in May, release right. him in June. You know, that was like an immediate reaction, myself included. I think I was part of that, that bandwagon that, you know, was, was quick to jump, um, jump on him. But, you know, it's, it's just one of these things that it was a carryover from the previous regime. Mike Elias knew he was inheriting this, this contract mm -hmm. coming in. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if you take him off the payroll, this you'd be looking at a $40, $50 million payroll, which is way more in line with what they should be spending mm -hmm. at this point in time. But that's just not the, the reality. So, Well, and the, the nice thing about what's happening now is even if you pay him $23 million a year or $17 million a year and then the deferred money mm -hmm. later on, to not be on your team, you kind of recoup that in the fact that you're getting players who are going to be way better contributors to the team who are paying for the playing for the league minimum. Sure, you know, not on Nunez might get a nice little a nice little bump or something, mm -hmm. but you're looking at Ryan Mountcastle is going to make what five hundred sixty-five thousand yep. dollars next year when yep. he when he makes the team. Mm -hmm. So you're you're paying a guy seventeen million dollars for next season to not play for you, which I think is ultimately what's going to happen. Yep, but you're going to get some of that back in in the contributions from lesser paid players. Sure. So. Uh, we did mention some, some, some September call-ups, and I do want to get a break here in just a minute. But uh, quickly, there was Chandler Shepard. He hasn't pitched yet, but he was the International League Player of the Month. Uh, he went 3-1 mm -hmm. in August down, in, down at Norfolk with a 162 ERA, mm -hmm. a .90 whip, and a 181 opponent's batting average against. Uh, nice to see him get those accolades and then come up and join the team. We uh, mentioned Mason Williams, 2-4 for four the first game, a doubleheader hit list with two strikeouts in the second game. Is there any player in particular that you're looking forward to seeing play in September? You know, because Mountcastle and Hayes didn't get the call. Yeah. You literally just mentioned him. Mason Williams would be the guy for me. Mm -hmm. This guy has a really good hit tool. I mean, he, he, he was a top prospect for the Yankees system for probably five, six years. I mean, he would be the only name I would hear in, like, the early 2010s when they didn't really have a strong farm system. Mm -hmm. um, and he never really could get over that threshold at the major league, le major league level. Uh, he played for the Yankees for a number of games, and then he went on to the Reds. Um, he had like a DUI that I'm sure didn't help his his chances with the, with the club moving forward. But um, you know, he's a guy that I root for. He's still only 28 years old. Um, he he still looks like he has some fight left in him. And you know, even if he performs at like major league average level the next month, I mean, he could be a contributor next year. You never know. Right. And at this point, you know, the Orioles do have guys on their team who you think could protect to be everyday players in the outfield. But if Mason Williams comes in and makes a strong suit, you're not going to look at somebody and say, well, we have this guy, so you're not going to play, yeah. especially on a team that's probably still a couple of years away from contention. I mean, if your everyday center fielder is Stevie Wilkerson, that tells me you don't have a center fielder that's immediately ready to take over. So. Right. And I actually tweeted out <clears throat> yesterday, first game of the doubleheader, the Orioles had three 
actual outfielders starting in the game, and then the same thing for <laughs> game two. Yep. And it was it was nice because usually we're seeing an outfield that would have Trey Mancini in right and Stevie Wilkerson in the center, mm -hmm. or Stevie Wilkerson in center and Jace Peterson in left. Uh, R.I.P. Jace Peterson. He didn't actually die, but his Orioles career did. He got <laughs> DFA to make room for a couple of players yesterday. Yep. So, but look, we're gonna get a break uh, and a word from our sponsor. When we come back, we're gonna talk about. Uh, some Orioles minor league MVPs, the Orioles MVP, and then we're going to move on to the American League and National League MVP to get a little bit of conversation because I think it should be somebody that nobody else thinks it should be. But more on that after the break. In your home, sunshine can stream in through windows, bringing a cheerful feel and warmness to any room. Sometimes, though, it brings in too much warmth, even harmful ultraviolet light and solar energy that can raise energy bills, drain the color from your fabrics and furnishings, and cast a blinding glare on your television or computer screens. DNL Window Tinting can protect your home from all of this while saving you money on energy bills. Start saving today by calling DNL at 410-941-2942. That's 410-941-2942. Welcome back to the Payoff Pitch. And once again, joining me today from MLB Down the Line and Utah Street Report is Matt Pine. Matt, right before the break, we were talking about some September call-ups. Um, but somebody who is famous for not being a September call-up right now, uh -huh. aside from Austin Hayes, mm -hmm. is Ryan Mountcastle. Right. And you just wrote an article about Ryan Mountcastle. Everybody knows that follows the Orioles. International League MVP in his first season at AAA, 22 years old, uh, led the league in hits and total bases, mm -hmm. uh, 25 home runs, yep. over 80 RBIs. Yep. This is a guy who, hitting-wise, on the offensive side of the baseball, has nothing left to prove, in my opinion. Sure. At the minor league level. Mm -hmm. Now, you think that he can work on some things. So let's get into your article a little bit because you gave reasons why he didn't get the call up. So to frame it in three parts, uh, I basically looked at his offense, his defense, and service time. I think without a doubt, his service time is the number one factor. Agreed. I don't even think the other two come close. But just looking at his, let's just start with his offense, right? So looking at his offensive numbers, you just mentioned it. International League MVP, I mean, Clearly, his breakout season as a prospect. Mm -hmm. But if you look at AAA as a whole this year, everybody was performing. Every hitter was performing. The balls are juiced. Pitchers' ERAs are going up. I think the average slugging percentage for AAA was 452. Oh, wow. Um, so it's not like he's head and shoulders above everybody else in AAA. Um, he does strike out a lot. He struck out 130 times this year, which was a top, ranked in the top 20 in the International League. Uh, and he also doesn't walk very much. I think he only walked like 20 or so times, mm -hmm. which is not going to really help him propel his success to the next level. It's not going to really translate. Um, I think if he can spend this offseason kind of doing like a little sit-down meeting with, with Sigma Dell and some of the analytics people with the Orioles, they could really, you know, at least push him in the direction of walking more, getting on base, maybe having a better um, eye at the plate. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think if he works on those two specific areas, I think he, he'll definitely excel with the Orioles and definitely be a contributor, contributor next season. Um, as far as his defense goes, this has always been his big knock as a prospect. Right. He would have been a top at least 75 prospect, maybe a top 50 prospect in most publications if his defense was average to above average. Um, but that's not always been the case. He's always had the stigma of having a weak throwing arm. Um, it was especially evident when he was playing third base, and he had some um, not he had throwing errors, but it wasn't really always accurate and on on target uh, at first base. 
So they've moved him around. He started at shortstop, third base. Uh, he started this season in AAA at first base. Um, he did fr fairly well if you just look at the, the uh, primary defensive stats. He did good good there. Um, but I think when they traded Trey – they didn't trade Trey Mancini, rather. I almost gave myself a heart attack. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't trade Trey. Uh, it kind of stopped his path in his tracks at first base. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to get him a look in the, in the outfield, so they put him in left field. I've seen some highlight plays of him making uh, catches, leaping catches at the wall. Um, Michael Ice himself said he's looked really good in left field. His strong arm looks good. I saw him throw somebody out at home plate from mm -hmm. four from, assists in like 23 yep, games. Four assists. So the throwing arm, you know, that might be a thing in the past. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, but I think his defense is also, it could at least give credence to Elias saying, oh, he's not ready yet. Mm -hmm. He's only 22 years old. He's in AAA. That's extremely young for, for AAA for that level. Um, so it at least gives Elias something to back up, back up his not calling up, calling, calling him up rather, excuse me, um, other than just the service time. Third final component is the service time. You need 172 days to gain one year of service time in Major League Baseball. Uh, that would start if he got promoted like April 14th or so. That would right. be... Uh, that wouldn't really count as an extra year of service time. Um, so and I believe an MLB contract lasts six years. So if you look at the timeline-wise, um, not promoting him until next year at that time, not a free agent until 2026, uh, that gives you a hell of a window to work with. Uh, when the Eusenio Diaz's, the Grayson Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman's, and the D.O. Halls of the world come up right. um, to keep that core together. And I really think service time is a big factor here. I mentioned in the article, if you want to read that, at utahstreetreport.com. Um, same thing was done to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Same thing was done to Chris Bryant famously. So it's not something unique to the Orioles. Right. And it was even done with, I remember the first time hearing about it was with Evan Longoria yeah. back in 2006. And then shortly thereafter, he ended up signing a big contract with the Rays before he ever done much at the major league level. So it is something that happens. It is something that it's kind of frowned upon by the pundits of the world, mm -hmm. but it's something, it's a, it's a common practice. Now you can't just say, oh, we're gonna hold him down because we don't wanna start his clock. So they'll say something say like, that, like you, you can't say that, otherwise I think it's, it's collusion. But yeah. that, like with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., everybody knew he was ready, but they didn't wanna start his service clock. So service clock, so they said, oh, well, he needs to work on his defense. And, and the, the reverse <coughs> point of that too is, Vlad was probably ready last year mm -hmm. to come up. And you can actually hinder someone's progression if you keep them down in the minor leagues too, too long. Right. That could be a problem, too. So it, there's got to be a happy medium to, to find there. Um, and I think that's just going to be sussed out in the next few years. Right. Well, and moving from Ryan Mountcastle, the Orioles AAA Norfolk MVP of the International League, who is the Orioles MVP this year? I really think it's a two-horse race, and I don't really think it's that close. It's between Jonathan VR and Trey Mancini. In my opinion, it's Jonathan VR. Who do you think it is? Hanser Alberto. Oh, really? Yes. Wow, I, didn't even, I did not even think about Alberto. Uh, I know, like, <laughs> we, we briefly uh, spoke on Twitter last night and said, uh, you know, I'm more of the sabermetrics guy. You're more of the uh, old school statistics, but with some sabermetrics. Um, I mean, Hanser Alberto has been proving me wrong since day one. Mm -hmm. He, he uh, puts everything in play. I think that really contributes to why he has such a high batting average. Doesn't strike out a whole lot doesn't walk, he just puts everything in play. And uh, if you're looking for a spark, spark plug, somebody to root for, someone who's been most valuable to the lineup itself, I think you, you gotta say it's Andre Alberto. He's not, 
number one in home runs. He's not number one in in one base percentage, and he's not even number one if you want to get into a, a more advanced stat in weighted runs created plus. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just most valuable to the team, and I'll even throw clubhouse chemistry into there as a uh, as another factor as well. So I mean, probably shocking to you, but. Well, I mean, it makes sense the way you describe it, the way you explain it to me. Um, I just think that more, more often than not, it goes to the most flashy player yeah. on, on the team. Right. And Jonathan Villar's had a hell of a year. He has. You know, guys hitting 280, 20 home runs, 33 stolen bases, 30 doubles. Uh, this is a guy, and, he, and he's played in every single game. If he would put together a full season like he's done in every second half, it seems, for the past couple of years, he would be more than an all-star player. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would be, he could be close to like a 40-40 guy almost. Right. You know, probably not that high in home runs, but still, I mean, he, he puts together exceptional second halves. He did it last year when he was traded from the Brewers to the Orioles. He's done it this year. I think it's a pretty solid pick just if you look at the numbers as a whole. So. But you are absolutely right. It seems like every time you look at the box score, Hans Alberto has another two hits, rakes against left-handed hitters. He's on track to set the major league record for hitting against left-handed pitching yep. in, in a single season. Something like 80 hits against lefties already this year. So it's, it's, it's weird to say already this year when it's already September. Yeah. But it, it's a solid pick. And I think it, the funny thing is, I thought it was going to be Trey Mancini. That you were, that if you were going to say anybody yep. but VR, I thought it would be Trey Mancini. But he's cooled off considerably. He yeah. had 18 doubles through May, and he's only got 30 on the year. I mean, if you had asked me a month ago, there's no doubt I'm saying Trey Mancini. Right. Just, he, the drop-off has been pretty noticeable. Uh, if you want to talk batting average, he was hitting, what, like 310 in June. Now he's down to 270. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, his drop-off has been noticeable, but um, obviously much improvement over last year. So. And with that being said, moving on, AL and NL MVP. There's not an argument in the American League. Not it's Mike close. Trout. Not even close. It, it's Mike Trout. He's head and shoulders above everybody else. 8.4 war, 107 runs scored, 102 RBIs, leads the majors with 44 home runs. An OPS of 1086, best player in baseball. But in the National League, right on Mike Trout's heels, yeah. Cody Bellinger. <laughs> Mike Trout of the National League, 8.3 war, hitting 309. He scored 107 runs just like Trout, driven in 103. Their numbers are actually eerily similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has, he has the, the edge in batting average, but they have the same amount of runs scored, the same amount of RBI, same amount of stolen bases, 8.4 war for Trout. 8.3 war for Cody Bellinger. Yep. Bellinger's OPS 1067, a little lower than Trout's, but still, yep. you know, you're splitting hairs here. Can I just do a quick note about uh, Mike Trout? I don't want to backtrack, but one sure. quick thing. Uh, just a fun fact where you said about his war. Mm-hmm. Alex Bregman is in second place in American League war at 5.4, I want to say. He's closer to the 10th place person in war than he is to the first place in Mike Trout. Really? Yes. Wow, that just goes to show you how good yes. Mike Trout is. When he is three wins above the next That's best insane. player in his league, it is absolutely insane. Yeah. And we mentioned Cody Bellinger. He's probably your MVP in the National League. I argued mm-hmm. that it should be Anthony Rendon. Okay. And I got a lot of flack for it on Twitter. Uh, my reasoning is that I don't think the Nationals are a playoff team without Anthony Rendon. Right. Uh, the, the guy leads the majors in hitting and RBIs. He's got 32 home runs, so he's top 10 in home runs, an OPS of 1054. He is the spark plug mm-hmm. for that entire team. Without him, they're not a playoff team. Without Cody Bellinger, the Dodgers aren't as good, 
But their lead in the National League West is so big, they could lose him and still be up by 10 games yep. in the National League. So the, I think the question is, what does most valuable player mean? Does that mean the best player? Does that mean most valuable to your team? Mm -hmm. uh, when talking about Cody Bellinger versus Christian Yelich, I think the tiebreaker there is Bellinger's defense. He's a phenomenal outfielder. Uh, you want to look at some of the nerd stats. He's like number one in outfielder jump, which means he's like the, the quickest to a fly ball. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the tiebreaker there is, you know, he's, a, he's on a bona fide playoff team. I don't know if the Brewers are going to make the playoffs or not. Um, I think they're like three or four games back right. at this point. Um, that necessarily shouldn't be the, the tiebreaker, but I think more than not it is. Um, I do like the Anthony Rendon pick because that's kind of like off the beaten path. People wouldn't necessarily think him as number one guy, mm -hmm. um, but he's definitely top three or four. And let me tell you, he's going to get paid this offseason. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And with, with Rendon, the Nationals on, I believe it was, they, they were something like 12 games below 500 on May 23rd. Yep. Since then, they have the best record in baseball. And at the center of all that is Rendon. Now, look, you can talk about Patrick Corbin and – Max Scherzer, and Steven Strasburg. Mm -hmm. They're all five-win players, mm -hmm. right? But they pitch every fifth day. They don't play every day, yep. right? I can think of games just in the last week where if Rendon's not in the lineup, they don't win those baseball games. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those things where people will talk about it all the time. Anthony Rendon is the most underrated player in all of baseball. 100%. He's going to win a batting title. He's going to win an RBI title. Mm -hmm. he, he's got two-thirds of the Triple Crown. Usually that means MVP. Now, Cody Bellinger is on another planet this year, just like Mike Trout is every year. Yep. And look, not to discredit Christian Yelich, it, it, they basically made the two-horse race in the National League back in May, mm -hmm. right? Yelich has had a phenomenal season. He has the highest OPS of all of those players, including Mike Trout. And he's yep. got 26 stolen bases to go along with his 43 home runs and his 93 RBIs. We'll get into why I like home runs and RBIs okay. in, in, in a bit. But I like home so runs, too. Not, <laughs> I think most people do. That's why they juice the ball. Yeah. But So not to take anything away from Christian Yelich, but I think that if your team – and people hate on me for this. If your team doesn't make the playoffs, how can you be MVP unless you're Mike Trout? Right. right? Tr Christian Yelich, last year's MVP, his team made a great run. They went to the playoffs. He deserved to be MVP. This year, you're, I just think that you're third in the race. Well, I think you can look at war, too, as a, as a good indicator there. What's, what's his? Uh, his war is 6.4. Rendon's is 6.0. So if you take six wins away from the Dodgers, are they still a playoff team? Yes. Yes. If you take six uh, wins away from the Brewers, are they a playoff team? No. No. So I think that could be a difference maker, too, in evaluating who, who, who wins the prize. So. Right. And... So I was telling you about the hate that I was getting. I said we'll get into the home runs and the RBIs. Now, look, I don't think home runs and RBIs tell the full story. Mm -hmm. uh, I said, though, that I don't think that they should be insignificant. A lot of people were telling me, oh, well, his weight on base average and his ultimate zone rating and his war and this and his weighted runs created, which I, I still don't understand yep. weighted runs created. Now, yep. I haven't looked into it, but mm -hmm. it, I, I don't know how somebody can play for a week and have 100-plus weighted runs created. <laughs> Um, so I if you can explain that. A little bit, yeah. So weighted runs created plus 100 is average. Mm -hmm. So if you have a 100, that just means that's the norm. So Hanser Alberto's 109 weighted runs created plus. He's nine points better than an average hitter. Okay. That's all it means. Gotcha. Um, pretty simple stuff, but I agree with you. I think home runs are a really good indicator. I just look at stats like batting average and RBIs that aren't necessarily telling the whole story. That's mm -hmm. where I'm coming from. Well, and I said that, 
I believe in the eye test. Yeah. And people are like, oh, the eye test is so it's so simple because it just means did he hit a home run? Did he drive in a run? And no, that's not the eye test. Mm -hmm. Adam Jones in 2012, 4.1 WAR. But you cannot tell me that he was only worth four wins to the 2012 Baltimore Orioles. First of all, he he led them to the playoffs for the first time in 15 years. Right. Hit 33 home runs, mm -hmm. drove in over 100, mm -hmm. and. He was the leader on the field, in the clubhouse, in the community for that. There are some things you just can't quantify. Yep. And you can say, yeah, on the field, he's worth four wins. In that clubhouse, he's worth way more than that. And that was actually a, a big component of Astro Ball. Uh, mm -hmm. They said came up with something called Chem War, which stands for Chemistry mm -hmm. Wins Above Replacement. Uh, it's when they brought in uh, Carlos Beltran, and he really united like the Hispanic culture of the clubhouse with the American culture of the clubhouse, like united the two. Um, and it's something that really brought the guys together and, you know, actually helped them to play more as a team. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it, it could be a big component. But I think uh, RBIs especially, people conflate them as, you know, the utmost importance. But it, I think it really has to do with who's on base, what's the scenario. It's not necessarily controlling uh, or the player controls, for, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, you could have 200 more plate appearances than somebody and still have the same amount of RBIs. It mm -hmm. doesn't tell you, oh, you have 95 RBIs, you must be a good player. Well, if you have 700 plate appearances versus somebody who has 400, that person with 400 is probably a much better player. Well, and then uh, looking at Anthony Rendon, mm -hmm. he's played in less games than the other three guys that we talked about, but yep. he leads the majors in RBIs. Yep. So it's, it's and, and, but he hits something like 360 late and close and with runners in scoring mm -hmm. position. Um, but look, and an another thing about the, eye, about the eye test, I can look at a player like Nick Markakis mm -hmm. in 2018 yep. and compare him to Mark Trumbo in mm -hmm. 2016. Now, Mark Trumbo led the major leagues in home runs with 47, and he had 108 RBIs. But I can tell you, without having to look at the numbers, yep. Nick Markakis was the more valuable player and probably had the higher war because even with 33 less home runs and 15 less RBIs, mm -hmm. And he was. Yep. His war last year was 2.6. Mark Trumbo's in, tw in 2016 mm -hmm. was 1.8 because Trumbo's not a good defender. Yep. He doesn't get on base. Had one sacrifice fly the mm -hmm. entire se Actually, no sacrifice flies the entire season. Nick Markakis is the, the more valuable player to the team on both sides of the ball. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about by eye test. You can look at, you can watch a game and evaluate a player based on those components, and I, you don't need to tell me they're war for me to know they're the better player. Yeah, I think the, the game is kind of self-correcting in a, in a in a sense. Uh, Theo Epstein really talked about it with the Cubs, like if everybody moves to sabermetrics and everybody's thinking the same way, how do you stand out? Mm -hmm. how, how do you separate yourself? And you have to go back to the scout's eye or you have to go back to a feel. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not really what has been happening, you know, trend-wise over the last five years, but it might be the reality moving forward from work clubs. So we'll just have to wait and see. All right. And the, whole, the only reason I even bring this up is because I've taken a lot of crap over it and there was I, I was called dumb i was called stupid i was called illogical who are these and, people right and it's 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 just i got your back paul i appreciate that matt i really do <laughs> i had a lot of people come to my defense and agree yeah. with me there but it, it it still isn't nice to see people saying that about you because it, they're, yeah. they're making assumptions about you and like look sabermetrics have their place mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that they don't but one stop ramming it down my throat and two don't discredit <laughs> don't discredit other things, because at the end of the day, yeah, RBIs may not matter right. as, as much as other things, mm -hmm. but you need to score runs to win games. I think I just like the idea of it more, more or less. Like when Moneyball came out, I've mm -hmm. seen that movie probably oh, 20, movie. 20 times. And it's just the idea that like we have to think differently. If we're going to win on the field, 
can't think like the Yankees in here and expect to beat them out there. Mm -hmm. So it's just the, the whole idea of thinking differently and and finding out where the runs actually come from. I just like that whole concept. Right, and look, I like it too. Mm -hmm. I like that the Orioles have become more analytical. I think it's going to lead them into better baseball and to yep. be, be one of the better teams in baseball. Again, I'm not saying there's no place for it. Sure. I'm just saying why can't there be a place for both? <laughs> right, that's, that's all I'm saying. Why does it have to be black why can't and white? we be friends? We, right, we need yeah. shades of gray here, people. Life mm -hmm. is all about shades of gray. Yep. But look, that's going to do it for us here on the Payoff Pitch. Once again, I'm Paul Valley. Thanks to Matt Pine for joining me today. I really appreciate you coming on the show again. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hopefully I didn't get a little. I didn't get too hostile for Not you. Not at all. I was expected to go to war, and it wasn't that bad. Yeah, all right. Well, there we go. <laughs> all right, once again, thanks to Matt Pine for coming on. Thanks for tuning in to the Payoff Pitch. We'll talk to you next week. Go O's.